Good morning, everybody. It's a tremendous joy to be with you today and, and uh, really excited to share. You know, as we started worshiping this morning, and wasn't that an amazing time of worship, just encountering the King? And I, I just got so excited. And, and I just got so excited because I felt like I could see the day that he was going to come back. And I felt like I could see Jesus coming with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth and, and riding into town saying, I've come to get my kids. And I, I began to feel the excitement and the expectation of what it will be like when, when all the pain disappears and, and all the hurt goes and all the hatred is gone and all the sin that divides us has disappeared and we stand before the king and we gaze upon his face and we worship him for eternity. And, and I don't know about you, but that excites me because that day is coming and, and I want to make sure I'm ready for the day that he comes. Amen. And so as I thought about that, I was just struck by the book of Romans where Paul writes in, in, into the, the church in, in, in Rome and he says in Chapter 12, he says, I I, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, for this is your act of worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you would know and test his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And, And I really feel like today is about our response. It's about the fact that Jesus has done it all. And he waits for us to, to give him our yes. And, and Paul says, I urge you to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God. And there's just a sense in my heart, what would happen if we would place our lives on the altar of God and say, Lord, my life is not my own anymore. My life belongs to you. And, and how many, you know, fire consumes a sacrifice and God's fire and God's presence wants to rest upon you and, and give you life and life to the full. And so I wonder if we can pray together. And, and as we do that this morning, can we bring our lives before God and say, Lord, um, I, I am yours, Father. Have your way in my heart. Is that okay with everybody? All good. So why don't we just close our eyes. And if you want to just, I love to put my hands out in front of me just as a sign of, of my surrender to the Lord and just saying, God, I'm, I'm yours. And perhaps you'd like to do that. But let's, let's bring our lives before God this morning and invite him to come and do what he wants to do in our hearts today. Heavenly Father, we, we lift up your name. Jesus, we exalt you. You are King of kings. You are Lord of lords. And God, today I pray that you would come. Lord, we come and we offer our lives to you as living sacrifices. Lord, we we place our lives on the altar. Lord, and we say that no longer do our, our lives belong to us, but we dedicate our lives to you, Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would be welcomed in my heart and in our hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd be welcome in our midst this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak and that you would move and that that we would be awakened, Lord, to who you are and to what you've done for us. And so, Father, we give you free reign. Holy Spirit, would you come and move in this place, Lord? And we will be careful to give you glory, honor, and praise in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. 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 So this morning, um, as Pierre said, we're going to carry on with the series on eternity. And and I'm going to share a message that we've entitled, Are You Ready? And... I want to speak to you from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, and, and as Pierre said, the crazy thing is that what I'm going to speak on is basically what Gideon dreamt a few weeks or months back, and it's so exciting when God speaks to us, and he's very clear to us as to what he's saying. If you have a Bible, you might want to open to Matthew 25, otherwise I think it's going to come up on the screen in a moment, and we're going to read this morning the story that is entitled The Parable of the Ten Virgins, and, and this is a story that Jesus prophetically spoke at the end of his life. To, to speak into the time that we're in right now as we anticipate the return of Christ at a day or an hour set by the Father. And in the story, he's speaking about the wedding supper of the Lamb, the joining of Jesus and his church. And he speaks about 10 women that represent the church. And I believe that God will speak to us through that this morning. So let's read together Matthew 25. It says, At that time, the kingdom of heaven 
will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. At about midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and they trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. You might have read this story before, but to understand this parable that Jesus was telling, you need to understand the context into which he was speaking. And in these times, um, he's speaking about a wedding and, and a bride and, and so on. The way that a wedding ceremony would, would happen would be as follows. There were four stages. The first thing that would happen was that the, the young man and his father would leave the home that they had grown up in, that this young boy had grown up in, and they would go to the home of the prospective bride. And they would go and they would have a conversation and they would talk about this potential wedding and they would negotiate the, 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 the wedding and so on. Um, and, and, and upon agreement, they would pay the bride price. And then they would share a glass of wine between the two families to, to, to symbolize or to, to, to devote or to communicate that an agreement had come into, into being. That young man and his father would then go back to the house that he grew up in and they would begin to build a place where when the wedding couple, when the couple got married, that's where they would live. And in fact, they would build an extension onto the house that this young man had grown up in. At the same time, the bride would be preparing herself, waiting for the day or the hour that he would come to collect her and they would be married. But she would not know that day. She would not know that hour. And she would wait with expectation for the day of her wedding. He would then leave when the house was ready to come to his bride, to his potential bride. And, and he would come with his young friends and they would go and they would collect her. Often they would put her on a donkey and they would, they, would, they would walk back through the village taking a long time celebrating, this is my bride, how exciting is this? And they would go back to the house that they were gonna live in and there the wedding guests were waiting, the family was waiting and a great celebration would take place because the couple would get married. And I don't know if you think about that for a moment, the obvious parallels between that story and what Jesus has done and what Jesus is going to do. You see, Jesus left his father's house and he came to the earth, the home of his prospective bride. And he came to us and he lived on this earth for 33 years. At the end of his life, he died on a cross and he shed his blood for you and I. And at the end of his life, he paid the bride price for us. That was the Holy Spirit. And we share a cup of communion together, remembering that the covenant has been sealed. But in John 14, Jesus said, I'm gonna go back to my father's house. Why? To prepare a place that one day we will live. In the meantime, the bride must prepare herself because she does not know the day or the hour that I'm gonna come back. And so when we read the story, Jesus is speaking into this place. He's speaking of the fact that the first time Jesus came and he died on a cross for us, he came not asking, will you work for me? He came asking, will you marry me? He came to the earth as, as, as a groom, passionately pursuing the heart of humanity, died on a cross, sealing the covenant, 
but he's speaking into the time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ when he will come at a day and an hour set by his father to come and get the bride, the ones who have said yes. He's speaking into this situation, into our time right now. And the question I believe that this parable asks is this, are you ready? Are you ready? And in this story, it's kind of like they're two parties or two groups or two people. Firstly, it speaks about the bridegroom. And you know, I love the fact that when God himself, Jesus, speaks about who he is, he doesn't speak about the judge, although he is that. He doesn't speak about the Lord, although he is that. He speaks about himself as the bridegroom. For me, that communicates that he's not coming to judge. He's coming to cleanse and forgive and to marry you and I. Last week, Pierre spoke about God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Then it says this, John three seventeen: God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. The heart of God, my friend, for you this morning is not that you would get it all right, but that you would say yes to his love. He is pursuing you. He is pursuing me. He wants my heart that he might overwhelm me and transform me by his love for me. And so we read about the bridegroom, but then in the story, we read about 10 women. And these 10 women, I believe, and you will read commentaries would say the same, that these 10 women represent the church. Who is that? That's you and that's me. And in the story, it says that there are 10 women or 10 virgins or 10 maidens. And it says these 10 women were waiting for the return of Christ. And it says that they were waiting and it took a long time and they grew, they grew drowsy and they fell asleep. How many of you know that God is waking up his church? We heard in the dream a moment ago that there was the sense of weariness and drowsiness. I want to go to sleep. I find that as I travel around the place and share, much of God's church is still, is still dull and still asleep to what he wants to do. I feel a mandate that God has given us to awaken the church because Jesus wants to move. They all wake up when they hear the sound, come out to meet him for the bridegroom is here. But then it says this, all 10 had lamps, but only five of them had oil in their lamps. So what differentiated the ones that Jesus says were wise from the ones that he says were foolish. Quite simply, the wise ones were ready because they had oil. The foolish ones were not, and they missed the moment. And I believe that God wants to move on the earth. How many of you would agree with me? I believe God is coming back. I don't know when, but I believe we need to be a people that are prepared and are ready for the return of Christ. The question this parable is asking is, are you ready? You know, if you think about life, how many of you know that we are good at preparing for things? Anyone know that? How many of you are about to write tests or exams? Or how many of you can remember that wonderful day back in the day when you used to write tests or exams? How many of us prepared for our exams? Good thing to do, amen? We prepare for exams, don't we? How many of you have prepared for Christmas time this year? Have you prepared for your holiday or maybe what you're going to do over the Christmas season? Yeah? How many, how many of you are preparing for retirement? Lord have mercy. Are any of you preparing for retirement? Yeah? The American guys, you, you probably prepared for a while. You didn't go wake up one morning. What should I do today? Let's go to South Africa. Great idea. No, you, you probably, am I right? You prepared. Maybe you raised finances. You booked your tickets. You prepared your heart. My point is this. In life, we are good at preparing. And many of the things that we prepare for are good things. But how many of you know many of the things we prepare for only have temporary value? How many of us? are preparing ourselves for eternity. And I want to speak to you this morning about what it means to be a people that are ready. The second scripture we're going to look at this morning is from the book of Revelation. If you want to maybe just go there next. 
In the book of Revelations that Pierre read from chapter 7 earlier on, I'm going to read from chapter 19. The book of Revelations is written by the Apostle John, and he is speaking about what's to come, but he's speaking about the revelation of Christ. And, and in this moment, John is seeing the wedding supper of the Lamb. And this is what he says. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding supper of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he said, these are the true words of God. Can you see what John is seeing? He is seeing the moment that Christ returns. He is seeing the wedding supper of the Lamb. He is seeing Jesus and the church coming together. And this is what he says, let us rejoice and be glad for the wedding supper of the Lamb has come and the bride, can you say it with me, has made herself ready. She's dressed in fine linen, bright and clean, is given to her to wear. And fine linen, it says here in the word, represents the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who have been invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So the question is, what does it mean to be ready? Two things I want to share with you this morning. I believe that number one, to be ready for Jesus' return is to be a people that are devoted to Christ. And I know that this year, Pierre shared with me that you, one of the themes, am I right, for the year has been devotion, okay? And here's the thing is, the scripture says that many are called, but few are chosen. In other words, everybody's invited, but not everybody will say yes. And when we read the story of the 10 virgins, how many of you know Jesus wanted all 10 to be in the wedding with him? But how many of you know that only five were actually ready? And what differentiated, as I said a moment ago, the ones who were ready from those who were not was, was oil. And oil in the scripture represents the Holy Spirit. I believe what God is saying to us this morning is that to be a people that are ready is to be a people who are devoted to Christ and have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is looking for a people not to just tick the box, I went to church, good thing to do, please come back next Sunday. But he's not looking for a people who go through the motions of religious activity. Jesus is looking for a people who are devoted to Christ. You know, recently I've been studying the Gospels for the last two years. I've been living in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I've been overwhelmed by who God is and what he's done for us. But I've been challenged by what it means to be a disciple. You know, these, these 12 men... They didn't just kind of like pray a prayer, did they? They left everything to follow after Jesus. And for three years, they were immersed in Christ. They were immersed in the kingdom. They were immersed in the, the reality of heaven on earth. How many of you know that you do that, that's gonna change you, amen? And after three years, Jesus sends them out. They've been immersed in his presence, transformed by his presence. They are sent out. And the Bible says in the book of Acts that the people looked at his disciples, Peter and John in particular, and says this about them. These are unschooled, ordinary men, yet it is obvious that they have been with Jesus. My point is this, is that to be a follower of Christ, to be ready, is not just to go through the motions of church. To be a follower of Christ is to be one who has chosen to immerse themselves in the presence of God, to immerse themselves in the word of God, to align their hearts and their destiny with the purposes of God, to say, God, I am entirely yours. I get on the altar. You can have my life. That's the kind of people that God is raising up. In the book of Luke, I think it's chapter 8, uh, 18 at least, verse 8, the Bible says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? 
How many of you know Jesus? I don't think he's saying when the Son of Man returns, will he find a bunch of people who are in faith for stuff? I think he's saying when the Son of Man returns, will he find a devoted people? You see, at the core, at the center of faith is not a formula you apply in a time of need. Faith is a, is a position or a posture of devotion to God that says, I might trust you for certain things, but my faith is not in getting things. My faith is in you, Jesus. So when he comes, what will he find? When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Will he find a devoted people? Can we, can we grab that, that oil lamp for a moment? Um, you can light it, you can do whatever you like. <laughs> you know, about two years ago, some of you will know a little bit of our story, but Mel and I have been involved in this thing called ministry, church, whatever it is, I don't know, for the last 20 or so years. And we've had the privilege of, of, of ministering and sharing and leading churches in a number of different countries around the world. And God's done amazing things. It's been wonderful, it's been challenging. But about two years ago, God just pulled us right off the mission field in a sense and said, I want you to rest for a season. And I began to learn many things, but one of the things that I learned is that when you prioritize activity over intimacy, eventually the flame goes out. And if you look at this lamp, we've got a flame, we've got a wick, and we've got oil. And the crazy thing about this is that when the oil runs out, the flame will still burn for a while. And the reason it will still burn for a while is because there's still oil in the wick, but eventually, with no oil, It'll, it'll burn out. And I feel like God is saying, so many people in this world are even living in a measure of apparent success, but do not be like the foolish virgins who think that just because there's a measure of success, that means I have oil in my lamp. And I know that's a challenging word for us, but I feel like God is wanting us to pause this morning and say, do I have oil in my lamp? Because at the end of the day, what counts for eternity is not the car you drove, it's not the house you lived in, it's not the status you have with people. What counts for eternity when Jesus comes back is a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And God is pursuing our hearts. The number one question I want to ask this morning is do you have oil in your lamp? If we go back to that scripture, and I wonder if we can go back to that Revelations passage for a moment. It says this, it says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding supper of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear and fine linen represents the righteous acts of God's holy people. See, number one, to be ready is to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Number two, to be ready is to be clothed for eternity. And here what John is saying is that the bride has made herself ready. She has gotten herself ready for that occasion. How many of you know, ladies, that again, you also don't wake up one morning on your wedding day and go, hmm, I wonder what dress would suit the occasion, okay? I remember almost 19 years ago, my wife took ages getting that dress ready and the makeup and the hair and goodness knows what else she did. I have no idea, but she was beautiful and still is, ching ching, hallelujah. <laughs> but you know what, guys? Here's the thing, is that, gentlemen, don't be nervous. You're not gonna wear a dress for eternity, okay? John says here, he says, the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen has been given to her to wear. The point is this. We need to be dressed for eternity. We need to be ready. And we will be clothed for eternity with the way we lived our lives on earth. So he says that the fine linen that you will be wearing are the righteous acts of God's holy people. In other words, guys, today matters. It's not just about saved, glorified, hallelujah, got my ticket to heaven. 
Jesus, and I think we're going to hear this over the next few weeks, is actually going to hand out rewards for the way we chose to live our lives. So every single time you've blessed someone, served someone, cared for someone, shared the gospel with someone, you are dressing yourself for eternity. And so a bride might wear a dress, but we as the bride of Christ are going to be dressed for eternity with the choices that we make while on earth. That's a wonderful and a scary thought, isn't it? You know, John Bevere, some of you might have read his book, um, Driven by Eternity. He says this, he says, where you spend eternity is based on what you did with Jesus and the finished work of the cross. But how you spend eternity is based on who and what you lived for while you're on the earth. And I think the point is this, that God is not only awakening us to relationship, he's awakening us to purpose. God has a purpose for your life. 22 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus as a young guy, but 22 years ago, I met the Holy Spirit. He awakened my heart, he ignited my heart, but he awakened my heart to the dream of heaven. And for the last 22 years, I've been unable to do anything but to devote myself to not what has temporary value, but to what has eternal value. And I believe this morning, God wants to awaken our hearts to the fact that there is purpose for your life and that we are going to stand before God one day to give an account for what we did with our lives. But along the journey, I also begin to discover that when you give your heart to Jesus and when you seek to take a hold of his plan and purpose for your life, how many of you know that a war begins for your soul? There is a, there's a battle that seems to begin to, to, to rage for your priorities, And I was reflecting this week on the fact that when Jesus got baptized in water, came out of the water, went into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, how many of you at the end of that time, the enemy came to him, this Jesus who was hungry, and he said to him, you must be hungry. If you are the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And then he says to him, you see all these kingdoms. If if you're the son of God, you can have all these things. Just bow down and worship me. And then he says, go up to this high place and jump down. If you're the son of God, the angels will come and and, and take care of you. The enemy tempted Jesus with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The first Adam gave into the same three temptations. The last Adam said, no, I will obey the word of God. I will obey the will of God. Here's the thing, is that when you take a hold of God's plan for your life, you will be faced with a choice. Will I live for what I can feel, see, touch, experience, or will I give my life wholeheartedly to the purpose of God? Am I scaring you? I don't mean to. You know, Matthew chapter 6 Jesus speaks about the fact that we should not worry about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, where we're going to live. He says, your heavenly father knows you need these things. But then he says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. The point is this, it's not that those things don't matter. Those things do matter, but what matters most is your priority. And he's saying, Don't run after those things. Don't live for those gods. Don't live for those things. Live for Jesus. Live to be in right standing with God. Live to be giving yourself to the kingdom of God and Jesus will give you all that you need. My point this morning is this. Are we ready? And it's interesting that when you read Matthew chapter 25, and I'm gonna bring this to a close in a moment. Matthew 25 speaks about the parable of 10 virgins. If you read on, the very next parable that Jesus tells is the parable of the wise master who handed out bags of gold to different of his servants. At the right time, he's gonna come back and we will give an account for what we did with that. I think the point is this. Jesus is asking what's in your heart, but he's also asking what's in your hand. God has given you a purpose to live for. Will you join with me and say, God, I wanna give you my whole life. So I wanna read to you a poem this morning. And then we're gonna ask the band to come up. Maybe you guys wanna join me now. 
I think this is gonna come up on the screen, but a number of years ago, I found this poem that is called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. And it's a poem that really speaks about being unashamed for Jesus and, and living wholeheartedly for his purposes. And I'd like to read it to you this morning. It's on the screen, there we go. It says this, I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low giving, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by presence, I learn by faith, I love by patience, I lift by power, and I labor by love. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, my guide reliable, my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, diluted, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, back up, let up, or shut up until I've preached up, prayed up, paid up, stored up, and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My colors will be clear. I hope that the word has been clear to your heart this morning. Jesus has come once. He died on the cross for us. He gave his life for me. Jesus was humiliated, he was beaten, he was whipped, and he willingly laid down his life that I might be forgiven, saved, healed, restored, redeemed, reconciled back to my dad. But Jesus is coming back. And I don't know when that is gonna be. It could be tonight. It could be beyond our lifetime. The point is, we need to be ready, amen? To be ready is to be devoted. To be ready is to be surrendered. Jesus can't can't wait to come back. But he's going to wait because he wants as many people as possible to get the opportunity to hear the good news. And this morning, I believe the good news of the gospel has been preached. And God is waiting on me. He's waiting on you to say, Mark, what will you do with what I've done for you? How will you now live your life while you wait for my return? And I believe that today we are in a place of decision. I sent Pierre a message yesterday morning as I was praying for us today. The Lord spoke to me and he he took me to the book of Joshua. At the end of the book of Joshua, and I heard these words before I found the scripture, choose this day whom you will serve. It's like, where where is that? Praise God for Google. I had had a quick look. (laughs) And I found it at the end of Joshua. They've come through the Jordan. They're in the promised land. And Joshua, at the end of his life, looks to the people of Israel 
He says, today you have a choice. You can serve the gods of your ancestors. You can serve the gods of the land that we're living in. Or you can choose to serve the living God. But this day, he says, choose whom you're going to serve. Then he says this, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I want to say to you today that I believe that there are people who are about to make the greatest decision of their lives. That they're going to choose today to say, no longer am I going to serve my own plans and purposes. No longer am I going to serve what I want. From this day, I'm going to get on my knees. As Jesus laid down his life for me, I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to say, Jesus, you're going to have my life. I want us to just close our eyes for a little bit and just reflect on what God is saying to us today. Is there oil in your lamp? Have you come to a place in your life when you have decided to give your life to Jesus? I'm not talking about going to a church. I'm not talking about the things that we do. I'm talking about making sure that you are in right standing with God. He's given us all a lamp, but do you have oil in your lamp? Today, there's an opportunity to say, Jesus, come and fill my lamp with the presence of the Holy Spirit.